right, good morning, everybody. Congratulations. This is like an 8.30 service. You made it, right? You made it. This will be one. Usually the 9.30 is bigger than the 11. That will not be true today. Uh, that is my back. Because you wake up and you're like, you know what? Let's take that extra hour and get that back. Really glad you're here, though. Glad you're online. Glad you're in the balcony. Just glad that you're a part of Northgate today. And we're continuing this Red Letter series where we look at the Gospel of John. We're looking uh, specifically at the words of Jesus throughout this book. I just want to give you a quick plug and I think you should come every week unless you're sick or you're out of, out of town. Uh, it's just like what I believe. I think God has something for you every week. But next week, I'm particularly excited. We have a guest speaker. Uh, he's great. He's one of the, the best speakers in the area, I think. And if you don't come, you're going to hear about how good it was, and you're going to miss it. You're going to be like, man, I wish I'd been there. So just put that in there. Church next week, 930. It'll be good. You'll be used to the hour time change by then. So plan on being here for that. So Amy and I have lived in our house uh, for close to 16 years. We actually built uh, a brand new house right after we got married because we didn't know Dave Ramsey yet. And so it seemed like a good idea at the time. I knew I couldn't fix anything. So my solution to that was like build a brand new house and then you don't have to fix anything. That was the plan. And uh, we love our neighborhood. It's, it's great. We've loved having our kids grow up there. Um, but one of the, the most challenging parts was the house next door was empty for eight years. We lived next to a zombie house for half of that time. And uh, that's just a phrase. If you're like into those shows, it's not about that. Uh, but really nice house. Couple had a divorce. They had it just mortgaged all the way up, like 110%. So the divorce is a mess, the mortgage is a mess, the banks are fighting, and it sat empty for years and years and years. And, and some people wanted to buy the house. Uh, the builder wanted to buy it and just tear it down so that he could build another new house for somebody. And people are all fighting over it. And it finally went on the market about seven and a half years after it had been empty. Now, I went over there because there's a leak in the roof, right? The house was just in disrepair. And I remember going over and I just stepped in the front door and I could barely breathe from the mold because it had leaked through, you know, Rochester winter's kind of tough. They're not heating the house. It's falling apart. And I said to Amy, I think they're going to have to tear that entire house down. It's really bad. So it went on the market for about 100000 under what it was worth. And I said, well, if you can do the work, it's good. People bought it. And the first thing that they had to do was build a false wall because it was February and tear the entire front wall of the house out. Or they just take everything out and then start over because that's where the mold was. And if you know anything about mold, you know you don't coexist with mold. Right? You're not like, well, I don't know. Like his wife's pregnant. They had like a one-year-old, two-year-old kid at the time. They're like, let's move in and we'll just see how the mold goes. We'll manage the mold. No, what they did before they even moved a single thing into the house was completely tear it down and get the mold absolutely out of there. You have to eradicate the mold. I want to talk to you today about the problem, the sin management problem. There's a problem with sin management. The problem is it doesn't work, right? That's the problem. A lot of us, we convince ourselves we can have some sin in our lives. Just a little bit, right? It's like, it's like in a box. Like, you see, this is my sin. This is my vice, Pastor John. Oh, this is my crutch. This is my one thing. Like, yeah, you know, I do this. And we convince ourselves that we can play around with sin. We convince ourselves that just a little bit of sin is going to be all right, that we can control it, we can manage it, we can handle it. I'm an adult. I can do it. Here's the main point. Sin is not something that can be managed or controlled. It's either eradicated or it takes over. 
Those are the two options. It's eradicated, you get rid of it completely, or it takes over. It's like moving in a house with mold. You wouldn't say, we're just going to manage the mold. We got some mold. Like, we got a little bit of mold. We're working on the mold. You got to get it out. You have to get it completely out. The devil is like a real estate developer. He's not content with just that one little lot. If he bought the first lot, it's because he wants to buy all the lots around it. He wants to buy more and more, and he's going to put up like a shopping mall, right? You ever see those things? I love them. When you have like a, a interstate highway and there's one house like on the median because that one person was like, mm-mm, not me. I'm not selling out to that. The devil is like a real estate developer. He just wants to buy more and more land. He's never content with the little bit we think we're giving him and then holding him off. That's why the old saying, and good luck figuring out who said it first, um, but the old saying that sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay, it still applies. It's not something, it's not a ride that we get on and then get off, right? You sign up for it, and it's going to go farther than you want it to. Now, John chapter 8, which is where we are today, is kind of this chapter of disputes. There's all sorts of disputes going on. The Pharisees, it starts, they're trying to stone a woman caught in adultery. As far as I know, this takes two people. There's no mention of the man. Uh, he was good, right? He's, he's off doing something else, but they want to kill the woman for it. That's a different story. Uh, there's a dispute over Jesus' testimony where they're like, you can't be your own witness, Jesus. Uh, it doesn't work that way. There's a dispute over if Jesus is who he says he is, and then there's this dispute over the identity of those who are following Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick it up today in verse 31, chapter 8, 31 and 32. Here's what it says. To the Jews who had believed him, so Jesus is speaking to the believers. This is a conversation with them. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we love that last verse, right? You see that in movies. There's like defense attorneys, and like, then you will know the truth. It's like this powerful thing, and it sounds really good. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But what people miss so often with this verse is there's an if-then relationship there. It's not just, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It says, if you hold to my teaching. So there's an if before the then, right? It's not just, hey, you know the truth and the truth knowing God is enough and you'll be free. It's if you hold to my teaching. I love the NIV. It's what we commonly preach out of here, but I don't really love that phrase as much. I just wanted to share some of the other translations with you. NASB said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. New Living Translation said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. English Standard Version, if you abide in my word. I like that word abide there. You are truly my disciples. And the message said, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my, my disciples for sure. I love this because it's not just holding to the teachings that Jesus is saying, I've given you some things. And if you're going to really live those out, if you're going to live in those, if you're going to abide in those, if you're going to stay in what I teach and what I'm telling you and what I'm giving you as directives, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the truth actually sets us free, not just when we know the truth, but when there are actions that flow from that knowledge. So I want you to see this today, that it is ultimately our actions, not our knowledge, that indicate whether or not our lives really belong to Jesus. It's true. It's ultimately our actions that indicate that. Now, I got to be careful here. I got to be careful. I got to give you a disclaimer. Make sure you know 
Salvation is not based on our works, right? Salvation is not based on our works. It's not based on our good behavior. We are saved because we put our faith and our trust completely in Jesus. We're not saved by what we do. But if we are truly saved, our actions will change. If our lives really do belong to Jesus, if we really do believe that, then who we are and how we act will be different. That's why James said faith without works is dead. You have people like dragging their faith along, right? Behind, they got it on a leash and it's just like, and they're just like, yeah, look, look at my faith. And James is like, it's dead, man. There's no action there. There's nothing coming from that. I found this Robin Myers quote in a book called Saving God from Religion to be really interesting to consider. It said, consider this remarkable fact. In the Sermon on the Mount, there's not a single word about what to believe, only words about what to do and how to be. By the time the Nicene Creed is written only three centuries later, there's not a single word in it about what to do or how to be, only words about what to believe. We went from Jesus saying, hey, my followers should be poor in spirit. My followers need to be people that mourn. My followers are meek. My followers hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're merciful. They're pure in heart. They are peacemakers. They're persecuted and they still follow me. We went from that to, I believe, I believe, I believe. And believing the right things is important. Right? It is important to believe the right things. This is not me taking a stance against the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed or the contents therein. I do affirm those things. Don't have me thrown out for heresy in between the 9.30 and the 11. But if our beliefs don't shape our actions, what we believe can become meaningless. Right? If our beliefs don't change what we do, then why does it matter what we believe? What we really believe will be revealed in the way that we live. It's true. You can say you believe one thing, but I'm going to watch you, and what we see from your life will reveal what you actually believe. Now, I'm a bit of a nervous flyer, but I also believe that flying is safe, right? I used to be really bad. I would be, like, ripping the seats the whole time, sweating. Like, I'd people would be like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm just nervous. That's all, right? Just not into dying today. Um, just wanted to go to Florida. And so I, I'm a lot better now. As long as it's not too turbulent, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I, have, um, I have a little routine. I'll be watching Netflix, and if it gets bad, I just kind of have to switch over to some worship music. So that's how you know. If you look at my phone and there's music and not Netflix, you know I'm, I'm having a little bit of a struggle. And so, uh, but I believe the flying is safe, right? I can read studies. I can read and say like, hey, you know what the safest form of transportation is flying. Of course, we all know the thing. You're more likely to have an accident in the car on the way to the airport than actually have a problem with the plane. So, that's encouraging, isn't it, when people tell you that? Anyway, I think about that every time I drive to the airport. I'm like, I'm not going to be a part of that statistic. We're going to take this seriously. But you know that I believe planes are safe because I get on them all the time. So that's how you can tell. I can tell you I believe planes are safe, but I say, traveling, flying is completely safe, and then I never get on a plane. You're going to start to wonder. Or you have people that are like, flying is so dangerous, and then you get on. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to judge your beliefs by the actions that they produce. John 8, this continues. The crowd says back to Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? I love this. This is so interesting. These are Abraham's descendants. These are the Jewish people that are answering Jesus. They're offended that he has said they are not free. 
The Jewish people were slaves under Egypt. You probably know that one. They're slaves under the Philistines, under Babylon, Persia, Syria. And at this time, they are currently slaves to Rome. And they're saying, we haven't been slaves to anyone. It's like Bills fans saying, we haven't lost in the playoffs to anyone. We've lost in the playoffs to everyone, right? I just want you to know that joke hurt me more than it hurt you, right? I really was like, can I do it? Can I do it? Should I do it? But they say this, they're like, we haven't been slaves to anyone. What are you talking about? There's probably a Roman guard standing within earshot of this conversation, and they're saying, what? How can you say we're not free? And what I see in them and what I see in us is that our own lack of humility can blind us to the things that are keeping us from being free. It's our lack of humility. It can be a problem because when you heard the main point today, which just to remind you, it said sin's not something that could be managed or controlled. It's either eradicated or it takes over. When you heard that, a lot of people here, here, online, wherever you are, you heard it and two things happened. One, something popped into your mind. God brought something to your mind right away and you were like, oh man, I hope it's not gonna be about this. And then the second thing that happened almost as quickly was you pushed it away. You pushed it away. You let the voice of the deceiver just kind of push it out and be like, yeah, yeah, you don't have a problem with that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about some other people with some other stuff, but he's not talking about you with your stuff. So just take a deep breath. You're good, right? You're like, well, I don't have an anger problem. I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have a problem with what I'm watching on my phone. I don't have a problem with how I'm looking at people that I'm not married to. I don't have a problem with that. That's the initial pushback. We have it, right? Some of you are smiling because you know you had that. You were like, oh man, don't talk about this. And he's like, you're good. You're good. I don't have a problem with that. And I want you to know, I want you to know in love that that lack of humility will keep you from being free. It'll keep you from finding freedom. As long as you don't think it's a problem, you will never be on the road to freedom. So a couple things, because this comes up just practically. How do we tell if it's a problem? How do we know if something's a problem? Well, one, I think God convicts us of things, right? God convicts us of things. And what I tell people, listen, those things are different, right? I can't drink because I can't drink, right? It does not go well. We've all agreed it's for the best if I don't. So my number is zero. Maybe you could have a drink or two, and that's fine. I don't know. You've got to work that out with God. But I'm telling you, if you have a drink or two and you feel this conviction of the Holy Spirit, don't ignore it, right? You've got to find what that is. But also we know if it's in the Word of God, you don't even have to ask Him, right? In the Word of God. So we're talking about drinking. Drunkenness is a sin. So you don't have to be like, uh, dear God, should I get drunk tonight? No, the answer is no. He doesn't want you to do that. You don't have to pray about it. Don't waste his time. He's busy. He's got a lot of stuff going on. So if it's in the word of God, if God has said it already clearly in his word, then don't go against it. We have to stop living our lives in opposition to the will of God and simultaneously asking him to bless what we're doing. We can't do that. We'd be like, ah, oh, God, I'm going to ignore all the stuff you said in your word, do whatever I want to, and then I'm going to pray that you'll bless it, protect me, and all that. So it's in the word of God if you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then I, I want to throw this in there. If you have a spouse, if you have healthy people who love you, and they think it's a problem, it's a problem. Okay? If your spouse thinks you have a drinking problem, you probably have a drinking problem. That's just, that's, I've been telling people that for a long time and I'm yet to be proven wrong on that, right? If your spouse says, I think that your anger really is becoming an issue, 
I know that's going to make you feel angry. I understand that. Right? But also, you got to work on it. Like, those are kind of some of the things that happen. And if you have healthy people in your life, if you're not married and somebody else says, listen, I just, I think that you're shopping a lot more than you need to. Every time I turn around, it feels like you're buying 30 more things. I think you might be medicating a little bit with Amazon. We need to talk about that. So those are some things. And then if you have feelings of guilt and shame and regret, like that, that's a good indicator. Don't ignore that. That's the check engine light. Don't just drive with that thing on for 10,000 miles and assume everything's going to be okay. Verse 34, Jesus replied, Remember, they're like, we've never been slaves of anyone. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, that's a heavy verse, right? That's a heavy verse. It kind of hits you in the stomach a little bit. A couple of things you need to know. One, you need to know that sins there. Sorry, I looked back and I gave you the indicator. Sins is a present tense verb. Right? So it means an ongoing, continual action. It means habitual sin. It doesn't mean that if you, you know, do something one time, like, boom, you're a slave. It's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying if you're living in this cycle of sin and you're doing it over and over, you're living in that way, you are a slave to sin. But the good news is that perfection is not the goal. Perfection is not required. There was only one perfect sacrifice, and it was none of us. But what Jesus is saying here is that anyone stuck in a cycle of sin is a slave of sin. Some of you know that cycle. That cycle of trying harder, falling short, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed about it, being frustrated, just giving up, right? Not even trying and then feeling worse because you know you gave up and committing yourself to trying harder again. You know that cycle. You've done it. C.S. Lewis knew that cycle. He said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good, right? Until you've done it, until you've been in this cycle and you said, I just want to get out of here. I don't want to be in this. You can look around, right? You watch the news and you think, I'm not really that bad, right? Man, that's bad, right? Google your name in Florida man. You'll feel pretty, or sorry, not your name, your birthday in Florida man, right? If you know that's the don't do it right now. Do it later. Uh, but you'll see something, and you'll be like, man, look at that. I'm not that bad. But then you get stuck in this cycle of sin, and we try to defeat this cycle of sin in our own power, and we come away being like, shoot, I'm messed up too. I'm messed up too. And Jesus fortunately gives us the answer in the next two verses, in verses 35 and 36. He said, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son, that's Jesus, if he sets you free, you will be free indeed. I love those two words, free indeed. It's one of the, the things that I felt strongly enough about to tattoo on my body permanently because that was what Jesus told me in my own struggles, particularly with alcohol, that if he set me free from that, I would be free indeed. And he's held up to his word. So what Jesus tells us is that the only way out of the cycle of sin is the freedom that he offers us. That's the only way out of that cycle. We are absolutely helpless to do this on our own. And maybe that makes you feel not great, but it should make you feel okay, right? Because if you're struggling with this and you're trying to do it on your own and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling like you can't break the cycle, the good news is you're not supposed to be able to do it on your own. You can only do it with the power of Jesus. You are helpless to do it on your own. 
Last year, last June, uh, the girl's elementary school principal was retiring, and we're friends with the assistant principal. She lives down the street, great lady. And um, the principal was a big Red Sox and Bills fan. And so they were looking for hats. And I was like, you have come to the right place. They need Bills and Red Sox hats. I have like 20 of them. So she came over, she's in the driveway, and I said, Kinsley, run in and grab my stacks of Bills and Red Sox hats so she can pick out which ones she needs. And so Kinsley runs in, she's getting in, and I'm out there, we're talking, and then it goes on for a while, and you start to get that, like, I don't know what happened to Kinsley. She was running in to get the hats for me, right? Don't hear anything, don't hear anything. And then finally, the door opens, and I hear Kinsley screaming, like crying. She's just so upset. And Amy comes out, and she's just got that, you know, like that, we got three kids kind of face, like, oh, man. I go, what on earth happened? I just sent her in to get the hats. She goes, well, she wasn't tall enough to get the hats. And so she stood on something in our walk-in closet to get those. And when she did, her foot slipped, and she kicked over a fire extinguisher. And somehow, the pin came out, and the extinguisher discharged all over our walk-in closet. I mean, you picture all the clothes, the hats, everything in there, and it's just covered in that white foam. And so Kinsley, is a, she has a sweetheart, and she wanted to clean it up. That was what she was going to do. And so when Amy found her, Kinsley is in this full closet. What, right there, she's got one washcloth, and she's just wiping the floor, right? She's just wiping the flat on the floor. Now, keep in mind, the clothes are dripping in foam. It's everywhere. It's on the top. It's on the walls. And she's, like, just there. Like, she's going to get it, right? She's going to clean it up so she doesn't have to tell her mom and dad about it. And I think of that image, and I think about how God looks at us, how helplessly unable we are to clean this up on our own, and we want to do it, but we're just there with this giant mess and one little washcloth. We're like, I'm going to get it. Just give me some more time. I'm going to get it. God's like, you don't have to get it. You don't have to do it on your own. That's why I sent my son, because when we realize that we can't do it on our own, we're finally on the way out of that cycle. When we realize that, when we admit that, Charles Spurgeon said, when we come to the end of self, we come to the beginning of Christ. When we get to that point where we say, I can't do it. I love the last song that we sang, uh, In Christ Alone. That was the first song after I became a Christian that really resonated with me. I love that we sang it this weekend. But the, the key line for me, then and now, is it says, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Now, it's really important that we get that because we don't stand in victory, right? The people in this room, the people online, the people that are free from sin, that have been set free from this cycle, it's not because we are standing in victory. It's because Jesus is standing in victory. That's how sin's grip loses its power. That's what happens. So practically, in our time left, practically, just what does that look like, right? I don't want to just give you all this, heap this problem on you, and tell you Jesus is the only answer, which is true, and then walk away. I want to give you a little bit more. So we're going to jump over to James 4, 7 to 10, because he says this so efficiently here. Book of James, Jesus' brother, this is what he says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 
Love those verses. And I just want to give you a couple bullet points, action points for each of us from there. Submit, resist, purify, humble. It doesn't make a word. Don't try. You're wasting your time. Submit. It means trust God completely. Trust him. Pursue his will. Pursue his word. Pursue him. Again, stop living in opposition to his will and asking him to bless what you do. Submit literally means to line up under. So if you picture the soldiers at that time lined up right in the straight rows, they're lined up, they are in line. And that's what James is saying there. Get in line with God's will. Then the next one, resist. Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a way in. Don't give him an inch. Resist here means take your stand against, right? Oppose the devil. Satan has no power over believers when his lies are not believed, right? That's the only thing he has. That's the only weapon he has against us are his lies. And if we don't believe them, then he's powerless, I've told you this before, I've given you this image before, and I've heard from people that said, that's really helpful for me. When you sin, you might see it, I want you to see it at the time, you might see it afterwards, but when you sin, there is always an off-ramp, right? You're going down the road, and you get to this point, and you get there, and you're like, oh man, I don't want to be here, I don't want to do this. I'm telling you, back it up in your mind, there was an off-ramp, there was a timeout, there was a time where you could have jumped off of there, you didn't have to do it, you didn't have to say it, you didn't have to go there, you had an opportunity to get out, and that's how you resist the devil. You take that off-ramp. I'm telling you, if you start looking for them, you will see them. They are there. Purify. We have to purify our hearts. We have to honestly repent and turn. You know, there's so many things there. It says, wash your hands, which is a, a throwback to the Old Testament purification. It tells us to grieve and mourn and wail. I mean, he paints this picture of, of really letting our sin crush us for a bit. I don't mean that, that you need to be crushed by the weight of your sin, but I do believe, especially based on what James says here, we need to feel genuine sorrow for that. Right? But, but not just feel terrible about it and mope around. That's not going to do anything. You, repenting is a two-part thing, right? It's feeling that sorrow and it's turning and going a different way. Don't feel sorry about it. Don't feel guilty about it and do it again tomorrow, right? You know, that, that's a waste of time for everybody. So you have that repentance, that two-part process of sorrow and returning. That's how we purify our hearts. And we have to humble ourselves, have to humble ourselves. You've got to do things like ask for accountability, right? It says humble ourselves before the Lord. And yes, when we screw up, we need to ask God for forgiveness. The Bible's very clear. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sins. If you have offended somebody else, you should ask their forgiveness. But if you're serious about getting out of that cycle, you need to also ask for accountability. You need to ask for somebody else that can do that, right? That's what I've had to do. Anytime I've had to make a significant change in my life, I've had to go to someone and say, I need help with this. Can you check in with me? Can you help me get some structure around this? Can you help me get some accountability? Because otherwise, your pride will keep you in that cycle of sin. Your pride of not wanting to admit that you've got this struggle, not wanting to say, hey, man, I just need some help with this, that pride will keep you in the cycle of sin. That's why when I know someone is, is serious about living differently, I get a phone call from people. Or I get a phone call from somebody saying, hey, man, I, I need help. I'm drinking too much and I got to stop. I'll get a message from someone that says, man, I just, I just lost it on my wife and my family. Can you help me get my anger under control? What can we do? How can we walk down this road? Of people that say, hey, I just, you know, is there some filtering software? Is there something we can do? I need help. 
And those are always tough because I know that somebody's hurting deeply in that, but I'm also always so encouraged because I know they're getting serious about living differently because they're not just going through that cycle and saying, oh, I'm not going to do it again. I did it again. God, I'm sorry. Help me not to do it again. And then I did it again. They're breaking that cycle. I have this uh, memory in my mind. It was probably seven or eight. We were on a trip in New Jersey in Ocean City, and uh, we were in a wave pool. And wave pools are a really cool way to almost die. Um, so I'm there, and I'm familiar with regular pools, right? I could swim in those, and so I'm like, I'm good. And I was the youngest, so I don't want to tell you that, you know, I didn't get a lot of supervision, but I was just kind of out there, and I'm like, this is great, and the waves are crashing down, and it's fun, and this is really cool, and then, you know, the waves get bigger, and then it wasn't fun, and it wasn't cool, and I remember that feeling, and if you've ever had it in a wave pool or in the ocean, of just getting flipped upside down and, and getting tossed around, and it felt like an eternity. It was probably 10 seconds, but I couldn't get my bearings. I couldn't figure out how to stand up because I didn't know which way my feet went right to do it, and I'm just getting tossed around and over and over in the waves, and you just picture, you know, a little like seven or eight-year-old me, probably with a terrible sunburn, just fighting for his life in this wave pool and thinking, oh, this is probably how it ends, right? I, don't, I guess this is the end of the story right here. And I remember having that feeling of like, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this. The next thing I remember is just a hand grabbing me. It's just hand like kind of grabbing like my shoulder, like my armpit and just kind of lifting me up. And I look back and there's this lifeguard who thankfully uh, had seen the kid that was struggling in the back. He's got that like red thing on. I don't know what that's for. It didn't help him save me. Uh, but he pulled me out and he just pulled me out of the wave. And I went from that feeling of just feeling overwhelmed, that knowledge that I can't do this, I am in trouble, I can't do it on my own, to somebody bigger and stronger and better than me pulling me out and setting me aside. I think that image is exactly what Jesus offers to us when we feel stuck in that cycle of sin and we say, I can't get out of it. God, I don't even know where to put my feet. I don't even know how to do it. I need your touch. I need you to help me. I need you to break the cycle of sin because sin is not something that could be managed. It's not something that can be lived with. It is either eradicated or it takes over. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came to break that cycle of sin in my life and in yours. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the, the power and the love of Jesus in our lives. God, I pray for anyone here that feels stuck in that cycle of sin this morning. God, they know all too well what it feels like. Lord, I pray that you would not just, Lord, give them the sorrow in the morning, but God, you would also give them the hope that comes through the gospel message. God, the, the encouragement that when we can't do this on our own, Lord, we're not supposed to be able to. Lord, we can only break that cycle by the power of Jesus in our lives. So Lord, I pray that we would seek you and pursue you. God, I pray that we would resist the devil at every turn. God, we would not even give him an entrance into our lives. And I pray that we would purify our hearts. Lord, we would honestly repent of the ways that we fall short and we would turn in a different direction. God, I pray we'd humble ourselves. God, that we would be humble people that can ask for help. Lord, I thank you that you've given us this church, Lord, that is loving and supportive. And when someone reaches out and asks for help, Lord, they're not shamed. They're not beat up. Lord, we don't gossip about it. God, we help them find that freedom. So Lord, I pray everyone in here would know the freedom that is offered through the power of Jesus in our lives for ourselves, God, and do that in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me ask you to stand. I'll give you the takeaway.
And that is that it is God's will for your life to live in the freedom that Jesus died to give you. That's his will for your life. You don't have to live in that cycle of sin. You can live in the freedom. That's why Jesus died. That's why he rose again. That's what we're going to celebrate on Easter in a few weeks. So go today in the love of God and the grace of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Have a great week, and we will see you next weekend. 